welcome back to the Ramble Room. I'm Ken, and I have kind of a special treat for you today. We'll take a little walk down memory lane about six years ago. Some friends of mine arranged for me to have coffee in a private chat with Harriet Hageman, and this was on January 12th of 2018, so it's six years ago next week. We went to a function where she was going to be speaking, and this was she was gearing up for her gubernatorial campaign at this point. We went to a function put on by the Equality State Taxpayers Association, and speakers included representatives uh, Mark Jennings, Chuck Gray, and Bo Biteman. He was still the representative at that time, and Chuck was, was as well. And then a gentleman by the name of Kevin Lewis came up, and he gave some very interesting information about how the budget works in Cheyenne. And I tell you, that was one of those things when I began to get the hook that I had to get involved on a bigger, more intimate level, and the the seeds were... The seeds had already been planted for me to run as a legislator, but they really began to take root on that day. The last speaker was Harriet Hageman, and I just went back and found this and played it back to myself. I thought, you know, there are some timeless truths in there and some interesting perspective on how time really doesn't change a whole lot. And I wanted to share this talk with you. I think you'll very much enjoy Harriet Hageman from January 12th, 2018. Again, this was an event put on by Equality State Taxpayers Association. And those of you who are really sharp will be able to detect, even from some of the poorer sound quality, uh, some of the voices that come out there. Carl Allen's in there. Uh, Bob Ide's in there. Cindy Barlow's in there. A lot of people that you've come to know and love through not only this show, but so many others. And uh, I, I hope you enjoy what follows. I came to listen, and I'm going to tell you that I learned a lot today. Uh, this has been fascinating. I want to thank our representatives for the work that you do. My father was in the legislature for 24 years, and I understand the commitment, the time commitment, and the dedication that you have to the state of Wyoming. And I want to thank all of you for the work that you do. Um, and I also want to thank you for your thoughtfulness. It is very heartening for someone like me to see this next generation of leaders and legislators, representatives who are coming up, who are thinking about where Wyoming is now, but also where we need to go, what the future uh, holds for us. May I have your name, please? Yes. Cindy? It's very good to see you. Um, it, and uh, I really thought that what you said a moment ago was very interesting about counties and looking at those counties that have basically been able to maintain the status quo in terms of spending. I have a brother named Hugh Hageman. He's a rancher near Fort Laramie, and I spend an awful lot of time visiting with him. Um, he broke his leg a couple of days ago, and so he's had even more time to be thinking. And so he called me on my way up here today, and he said, I've been thinking a lot about this boom and bust cycle that everybody's talking about. And he said, what's interesting to me is that really the only people who are talking about a boom and bust cycle are government. It's our government that focuses on that boom and bust cycle. And I think it's, uh, it, it is what you're talking about. Because we grow government with that boom, 
and then we feel we have to sustain it, and then with the next boom we grow it again, and then we have to sustain it. If you look at those counties, I grew up in Goshen County, and we never had that kind of a boom and bust cycle because we've always been the same for a hundred and some years, and that is we're irrigated agriculture. We're ranching. Uh, we have property taxes, and if you looked at some of those numbers, and they were up there pretty quickly, but you can see which, which counties don't have the same level of spending. They don't have the same level of government. They've never been able to afford it. My father went into the legislature in 1983, and so he went through those boom and bust cycles with the state of Wyoming. He passed away in 2006 and was in the legislature during that entire period of time. He actually said that he thought that the state was better at governance when it had less money. That they were better at figuring out what the priorities were, what government should be doing. And uh, I actually find that being in the ag industry, I'm not in production ag, but I work with a lot of farmers and ranchers, I work with a lot of irrigation districts. And I'm going to give an example of what I mean by that. In the North Platte system we have what are called allocation years. They happen about once every eight years, and it's a period of time when our reservoirs are, the, the water stored in our reservoirs are insufficient to meet the demand. Pathfinder Reservoir has storage of 1.16 million acre feet of water, and we irrigate four or 500,000 acres in eastern Wyoming and western Nebraska. And in those allocation years, that's when we're short. Those are the droughts. Those are the early 2000s. Um, we had a real rough period from about 2000 to 2012. And when you go back and you look at the, and you study the, um, the crop production during those years, what you'll find is oftentimes our yields increase in the droughts. You know why? Because they're better at farming. Because they have to be. So when we have a limited supply of water, and being from a long line of, of farmers and ranchers, we like it when we have an abundance of water because it's easier. It's easier to let that set run for more than 12 hours. Instead of being out there, Bob, you grew up irrigating. You irrigated a lot of fields. And Bill Gray made sure that you were out there at 11 hours and 45 minutes to make sure that, it, that you didn't go beyond the 12. When you're water short, sometimes you're better at it. And I think that sometimes you have to look at government the same way. The more that we have, the more we spend. And I think that that's what you can look at from what Kevin is showing with those numbers. The more we have, the more we spend. The question always becomes, should we be spending? Should we be, should we be investing? That's a word that Democrats use quite often. Should we be investing, if you will, with all of these funds? Uh, or should we be looking long term? I appreciate the fact that you guys are looking long term. We have to look long term. We need to look long term. Going back to the transparency issue, I've always said sunshine is the best disinfectant. And I think that we need to look at that way when we, when we talk about our government as well. Whether it is in your local special district, whether it's in a fire district, whether it's in a cemetery district, whether it's in the Department of Audit, whatever it is, transparency is a buzzword. It's an important buzzword, but the point is incredibly important, which is we are a republic. We are not a democracy. We are not a dictatorship. We are a republic from top to bottom. That's the way our government was set up. What does that mean? It is a representative form of government. You can't represent me and I can't have you represent me unless I know what you're doing. 
whether it's an elected official or it's somebody who works in the state, whether it's in the Department of Education, Department of Transportation, local irrigation district, county commissioner, doesn't matter what it is. Whoever is running for office, whoever is in public service is in public service for the citizens, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. Kevin commented about me having a constitution up here, and I think that there's some provisions of the Wyoming Constitution that are very important. And I think that we need to remember them, and I think we need to reiterate them, and I think that those people who are involved in governments, and I don't know where my Constitution went. There it is, there it is. There's my Wyoming Constitution. Um, I actually love this document, and I think oftentimes we forget that it exists. When I went through law school, we didn't even really learn about the Wyoming Constitution. I think that we ought to be requiring our high school students to not only do a lot more in terms of learning our federal constitution, but we need to have them understanding reading and understanding and studying our Wyoming constitution. People need to recognize that the federal constitution is a floor in terms of your civil liberties, your rights, all of those things. This is something that you need to really take to heart. There's some beautiful language in here. One of the very first things that I like to read when I think about government's role in my life or uh, in anyone else's life is really what is the purpose of this. This is our framework. This is what defines and describes how we're supposed to interact with government and maybe more importantly how government is supposed to interact with us. The preamble to the Wyoming Constitution states that we the people of the state of Wyoming, grateful to God for our civil, political, and religious liberties, and desiring to secure them to ourselves and perpetuate them to our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution. Our rights come from God, they don't come from government. The only purpose of this, and any statute, and any regulation, and any law, or any policy, is to protect our rights. The government works for us. And we always have to remember that, no matter at what level the government works for us. Here's another one that I think is important. Power is inherent in the people. All power is inherent in the people and all free governments are founded on their authority and instituted for their peace, safety, and happiness. For the advancement of these ends, they have at all times an inalienable and indefeasible right to alter, reform, or abolish the government in such manner as they may think proper. If the government is not working for us, we get to fix it. Again, the government works for us. That's the foundation of our Constitution. Equality for all, in their inherent right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, all members of the human race are equal. And since equality in the enjoyment of natural and civil rights is only made sure through political equality, the laws of this state affecting the political rights and privileges of its citizens shall be without distinction of race, color, sex, or any circumstance or condition whatsoever other than individual incompetency, or unworthiness duly ascertained by a court of competent jurisdiction. Kevin talks about going to our public servants and asking for information. And the response is, no, we're not going to do that. There are many provisions that require open records. There's the Public Records Act, which is a statute, but the very foundation of our Constitution is again based upon the idea that the government works for us, not the other way around. We have to have the transparency, we have to have the information, or to get to your question and your point, there is a reason why we're hiding things, and that's not good government. 
I look at these numbers and I will tell you that I am, I, I, I'm, really, I, I'm really pretty amazed. I'm a math person. I like numbers. $9 billion is what you have to work with on a biennium. $9 billion divided by 500,000 people. How many is that? How much is that? Per person. Per, per $15,000 per person every two years spent by our government, our state government. Since January of 2015 and December of 2017, our federal government spent $10.9 trillion. That is $900,000 per family in the United States. Our government is spending, in, in that period of time, our, our state government is spending, the state spending another 15. We have counties. We have the school district. I mean, the amount of money that we're talking about that government is taking from us in order to allegedly provide services is really mind-boggling. My brother Hugh again, maybe I ought to stop quoting him. Do not tell him I quote him all the time, okay? <laughs> Do not. Um, he, the, the amount of money that we're spending, and you think about it, is my life $900,000 better off today than it was three years ago? I don't think so. I mean, these numbers are amazing, but what he said is that so many times in our society anymore, we look to government for answers. When the questions are matters of faith, matters of, of, of family, and those sorts of things. And so I think that one of the things that we need to really do is we need to fundamentally rethink what the role of government is in our lives. Because the amount of money that we're spending isn't necessarily providing us with the services that we need, but it is growing government. And it is uh, providing jobs and things like that. But at the same time, we need to think about what the, what the role of government is. And that was, that's one of the things that I take away from the, um, from the numbers that you guys are giving us. Because I didn't know that it was $9 billion Because the numbers that we get, if you look, if you look at these various, the, the revenue information that you went over, Kevin, the information that we've talked about, the, change, the, the changes in budget from the 0102 general fund budget to the 2017 and 18, those aren't even all the numbers. And I'm not even sure, does that $9 billion also include the federal funds that come into this state? I'll give you my little cheat sheet that I take around everywhere that I got from the LSO. On the front side is the appropriations. It lists all the money we appropriate for each of these major agencies, totals them up there. And here's our revenue reversions, sales tax, federal mineral royalty, revenue estimates, other anticipated federal funds, $1.8 billion. Wow. You can have that. Thank you. You know, something else that I also, uh, in case for those of you who, we talked a lot about Endow today, I just wanted to show you what Endow was. This is the report that was just published last week or the week before. I did go ahead and print it off. There's some interesting statistical information in here. I'm going to study it because this seems to be one of those kind of, um, you know, popular ideas right now is uh, uh, the, the, the ideas that have been talked about, the airplane, the, um, the airplane service and those kinds of things. And, and so I, I'm, I'm going to be studying that and looking at that. Uh, you know, again, um, 
deja vu all over again. And I, I, I think that we need to come back to what is, what is the role of government in our lives. And I thought you made some really good points, which is that economic diversification by government is central planning. That's a great point. If you want to diversify the economy, get the state out of competing with the private industry. I think that that's another incredibly important point. One of the ways that I put it, and I think that Obamacare is probably a really good example of this, what you find with government is oftentimes they're trying to fix the last solution. Obamacare. We were trying to fix that there were allegedly 30 million people without insurance coverage in the country. Now we've blown up our health system and everybody realizes now we've got to go in and fix Obamacare. And when they do that, then what do we fix after that? We're always trying to fix our last solution. I come from the private industry. I'm a small business owner. I grew up on a ranch. Most of the people in my family are all small business owners. And you make changes and you make decisions about your budget and about your economy based upon the situation you're faced at that time. And sometimes you can grow your business and sometimes you can't. And sometimes you may have to shrink your business. You have to make choices. We in the private sector make choices a lot. We don't often make government make choices. And I'm going to pick on the federal government when I say that, because that's a lot of what I've done in my practice, is dealing with the federal agencies. I brought some information over today, and I thought that I would put all of you to sleep by reading to you, and uh, just, just, just giving you an idea of, this is what's called the Federal Register. This is where the federal government publishes regulations. This is one week's worth of federal regulations. They're trying to fix the last solution. And that's what they spend an enormous amount of money doing. Um, we, this is what's called the Federal Register. This is where the federal government publishes regulations. This is one week's worth of federal regulations. They're trying to fix the last solution. And that's what they spend an enormous amount of money doing. Um, we have, when we talk about the expansion of state government, I think one of the things we need to understand is that some of that is also driven by the federal demands as well. And that's something else that we need to get a handle on. And we need to be pushing back against. Because it's the federal government that is requiring the DEQ. The EPA is requiring our DEQ, for example, to go and address more issues associated with stormwater runoff or uh, how our irrigation districts are operated and those things. So we've, you've got the state component, you've also got the federal component, which has become incredibly dysfunctional on so many different levels. Um, when I talk about making choices, right now, as of last Friday, the federal government was $20.6 trillion in debt. 
in 2016, no, 2000 and, yeah, 2013, it was $16 trillion in debt. So we've gone up, we go up about a trillion dollars a year in terms of the debt in this country. If you'll notice this week, and you pr provide me with information about monetary policy and those kinds of things, you saw that China was apparently not very happy with the decision that came out of Washington, D.C. this week. So what was the first thing they threatened to do to not buy our T-bills? They threatened to pull back on not buying our debt. You saw the impact on the, on the stock market pretty readily when that happens. We've got a dictatorship coming out of China telling us how we have to spend our money or they're not going to buy our debt. That's really bad policy. So again, going back to some of these things about making governments choose, the Fish and Wildlife Service study several years ago commissioned a study and paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to study fish on, or shrimp on treadmills. Now, I don't know why, and I don't know the outcome of the study. I don't know if they were healthier afterwards. I don't know if it improved their heart rate. I'm not quite sure what happened. But I've often said about the federal government, if we can at least cut them back so that they have to choose between fish on studying fish on treadmills and persecuting my clients, it would be a step in the right direction. Well, I thought, okay, well, that was a dumb study. They didn't do that again, and they didn't. But last year, they studied fish on treadmills. So you've got a government that through debt spending, deficit spending, and things like that, is able to make really bad decisions. And the reality is that that happens in Wyoming, too. When you have a budget of $9 billion with 500,000 people, we're making a lot of bad decisions, too. And there needs to be some changes in that. Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I know what all those answers are. These are the people that I need to work with. These are the folks that I need to work with and understand what the priorities of the state should be. I don't know what those answers are. I don't envy you with the difficult issues that all of you are going, that you're going to be dealing with starting in, in February. I know that there's a huge push to raise taxes. And I think a friend of mine recently said it best, which is with the new tax reform law coming out of Washington, D.C., there are going to be people that are probably going to be leaving those high-tax states because they're no longer going to be able to deduct their property taxes and their income taxes from the states. This is a time when Wyoming should be a safe haven and a welcoming, welcoming, welcoming uh, uh, state saying, come to us. We're not a high-tax state. And I think that that's something that is important for everybody to remember in February is that right now we have an opportunity to do what so many people talk about, which is diversify our economy. Especially you guys, when you write your bills, that needs to come out, that wording. If that has to come out. The proper way, if an agency wants something done, they should write up a, a, a recommended bill, bring it to a legislature, and let the legislature pass it. If it doesn't, it's not a law. But to give them, and you're right, Congress and the legislatures have done this so they can stand back and say, hey, you know, I tried, my hands are clean, but they're abrogating their responsibility to the agencies who are not elected, who are not answering to the people, and it's not legal law. Well, and Carl, I wish I could agree with that last statement. I agree with everything up to the, like the last four words because the United States Supreme Court has said that it is. And so until we change that, and Neil Gorsuch was a fabulous uh, uh, justice pick for a lot of reasons, and I won't go into all the boring reasons why. I will tell you I'm in love with him. 
Um, if I wasn't married, I would consider. Well, and he's married too, but he is, I, I am in love with that man because of a decision that he wrote in August of 2016 because he's getting at this. That's why he was such a great pick. And I still believe that we're going to be able to move forward and that the Supreme Court is going to make some changes. Um, as an attorney, I have to abide by the rule of law, and that's what I do. Uh, that doesn't mean I can't advocate for changes, and I absolutely would. And that is one of them that I do think that Neil Gorsuch may be one of our best justices ever if he is able to reverse one decision that came out in 1984. And if he is, it's going to change the relationship between states and the feds and between the, the, the uh, Congress and the federal agencies. So I agree with you. That is not our constitutional construct. Right. We have to get back to our constitutional foundations. Any other questions? Yes, sir. You know, to answer the gentleman's question, I've always uh, been of the opinion that the legislature has advocated their responsibility, their constitutional responsibility to the executive branch. The only way that you can really, I, I mean, there's efficiency in doing that, in letting a, uh, an expert, for example, write a rule that, that guides a statutory law. But the thing that should be done, maybe, is to have those rules reauthorized every 10 years, every five years. What if you pick a number and say, okay, you can write them, but we get the final say on them, and we get them every 10 years. Well, and they would be a lot more uh, uh, judicious in rule writing, I think. Here's another solution that, I, that I've been pushing. Uh, with a, an organization called the Madison Coalition. And this is, again, at the federal level, but it doesn't mean that we can't use the same concept at the state level. Whenever 25% of the members of the House or the Senate object to a regulation, it cannot go into effect until it's been voted on by Congress. And you shut down an enormous number of rules that are coming out right there. You could do that with the judiciary as well. Yes, you could. You know, and something else that is happening, though, that I have found, that I discovered, is that, especially at the federal level, our agencies are self-funding through permitting and through penalties. So they're using the regulations. Um, I have a circumstance that I was working on a pipeline, a water pipeline, and I was meeting with the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation in Utah with my clients, and, and, they, and the, uh, the Bureau said, we want to go forward with this project, think it's a great idea, would you please sign this document? And I said, well, what's the document? And they said, it's a document saying that you will fund the NEPA analysis related to this project. And this is about, this, is a, this was probably a $4 billion project then. If it ever gets off the ground, I'd say it's going to be a $10 billion project by the time it's done. But I thought, well, I'm a fiscal conservative. Maybe it makes sense for the project proponent to be responsible for the, 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 the NEPA analysis. Even though by statute, the NEPA analysis is done by the agency. But then I started thinking about it. If you are the project proponent and you're paying for that NEPA analysis, that agency has every incentive to make sure it lasts as long as it possibly can and is as expensive as it possibly can because you're funding all the employees in that agency until it's finished. Right now, to get a 404 permit under the Clean Water Act takes over two years, 788 days, and it costs almost $300,000 to get a 404 permit from the EPA. 
And that during that entire period of time, you're funding regulators, you're funding the employees. So that's another paradigm that has got to be dramatically changed. But at the federal level, I was always wondering why these agencies basically tell Congress that they're not going to come in and talk to them. I've seen it with the EPA under the last administration. The EPA wouldn't even come in and testify. And I thought that's really weird. Congress has the purse strings. Why can't they force it? Because these agencies are making that kind of money. Uh, they're self-funding. So we're really removing the concept of a republic and a representative form of government when these agencies can fine you $65 million for digging a ditch on your own property and use that money against you. So that's why the EPA, especially of all the agencies I deal with, it, is, it has become very prosecutorial. It doesn't focus as much on the, on the environment. It's, it's become a prosecuting agency because that's how it funds itself. So, yes, Bob. Just to, to back up a little bit on the agency question versus Congress, you know, I can't remember which founding father said at Madison and Jefferson, but any law made repugnant to the U.S. Constitution is no law at all. And, I mean, even if you get a Supreme Court opinion, I mean, that was a Supreme Court opinion on Obamacare as well. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, what's your thoughts on, you know, do you nullify those laws by not obeying them effectively? I actually, you know, that, that's very hard for me to respond to as an attorney. Because as an attorney, you're, you know, I do believe in the rule of law. I believe there are other ways to fix it. I think one of the ways that we need to fix it is I think that we need to have governors who are just flat not willing, that, that they're going to be the ones who stand up and say, we're not having that in our states. And I think you're seeing that in some of the states. I think you're seeing it more now than we did before. But I think that you've got to have that megaphone. I think that our states need, our governors need to do a better job of protecting their citizens against overreach and outside forces, including sometimes from the federal government. We can talk about the Bundy situation. That governor from Nevada should have been the first one in the middle of that road. He should have been standing there saying, you're not doing this to my citizens here. And, and we now know, we now know with what happened this week with the federal district court judge that was appointed by Obama dismissed that case with prejudice because the federal government and the BLM has weaponized, has weaponized its employees to go after our citizens. And the governor shouldn't tolerate that and they should make it very clear that they're not going to tolerate that. Um, while the Bundys had to suffer through all of that in some ways, they have made huge changes in how these federal agencies are going to act, at least for a period of time, because they're going to have to. So I think that you, you have a government. That's why your state governors, I think, are so important, because I think they're the ones that are going to have to start really pushing back on this. I do. Anything else? Thank you very much. Um, great topics. Great. Great topics. Really great job. Really great job. Thanks, really great. That was just wonderful.